Welcome to Exhale Bible Discovery. Each week, we'll take a deep dive into the Bible, going line by line and chapter by chapter to discover the truths that God has for us in His Word. Hello, everyone. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. When we were in chapter 9, Paul defended his ministry and he showed endurance in his faith. And now here in chapter 10, he continues his discourse of answering and addressing questions posed to him about idols and food. So if you'll open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, So you can follow along. And I have this lesson in two distinct divisions. The first division are the warnings of taking our eyes off of Christ. And that is verses 1 through 13. The second division is warnings of continuing to go our own way. And that is from verses 13 through 33. So let's dive in. In verse 1, he says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. So Paul begins this chapter with the statement that he did not want his fellow believers to be ignorant or unknowing of what their ancestors had experienced. Specifically, he is referring to the time of Moses when the Israelites were led through the desert by a pillar of fire by night and a cloud during the day. And you can read about this in Exodus 13, 21. And this beautiful reminder let them know that God was their constant companion, their protector and provider. And during the night, the fire provided them with warmth and light. And during the day, the cloud protected them from the intense heat of the sun in the desert. And additionally, This same cloud was used as they crossed the Red Sea. So isn't that great? God is always with us. Verses 2 through 4, then it says, They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. So Paul now uses an analogy of baptism as it points to Christ via Moses. Thus, he is showing how through the actions of Moses, it was a foretelling of the coming Christ. As they crossed the Red Sea with Moses, this was an act of obedience and of faith, just as spiritual baptism with Christ is today. The spiritual food and drink they were provided with, manna from heaven, found in Exodus 16.36, and water from the rock in Exodus 17.6. All of these pointed to God who provides for his people. There is no mistake, the water from the rock pointed to the spiritual water that Christ brings to us. Then in John 14.13-14, it says, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. 
but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. There's no dispute at what this verse means right here in 1 Corinthians. Then in verses 5 through 6, Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. None of these things occurred as an example to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Now these things, it says. Sadly, even with all of the provision that God had given to the Israelites, many of them still discounted and disobeyed Almighty God. Can you imagine how frustrating it is to God when He continues to provide for us, and yet many times we ignore Him or we take credit for the provisions that He provided? And so what Paul is referring to in this verse has to do with the fact that many of the Israelites never made it to the promised land, and they actually died in the desert. So he is pointing this out that no doubt because the Corinthians were still engaged in behaviors that were not pleasing to God, he's trying to give them a warning. And it's a stern warning. We can't get the blessings of God without fully putting our trust and our obedience in him. And when this happens, God is not pleased. One cannot simply go through the motions of acting like a Christian without a true conversion, which should result in changed behavior. A true Christian conversion should most definitely result in a changed behavior. Paul's life is a prime example of this. And no, this does not mean that a truly converted believer will never backslide or fall. We are not perfect and we will fall. However, one who truly has not completely turned their life over to Christ will continue in old behaviors without any outward evidence of walking in the new life. Verses 7 through 8, don't be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. So again, Paul's going back to the topics of idolatry, revelry, and sexual immorality. And this reference of the 23,000 who died is most likely pointing to Exodus 32:28, when the people of Israel made the golden calf and they were indulging in all sorts of immorality as they awaited Moses, who was at that time meeting with God on the mountain. And so it is a stern warning for us today who continue to fly in the face of Christ as lots of people do as they wish without regard for the godly principles set before us in the Bible. And these are for people who claim to be Christians. Verses 9 through 10, we should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. So again, Paul's pulling from the story of Moses about the serpents 
in Numbers 21, 4 through 9. Here's what it says. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way, and they spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. The Lord then sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it on the pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. A lot of people are unfamiliar with this verse from the Old Testament, but I'd like to pull it apart so that you can fully understand why Paul uses it here in this chapter 10. So first, the people had experienced in the desert miracle after miracle, yet they still grew impatient. And aren't we still like this today? We can experience God in one moment, and then when things don't go as we like, boom, we question him. Number two, the people of Israel demanded and complained to God, and they even lamented. They didn't like the food that was being provided to them. Wow, (laughs) aren't we guilty of this at times when we don't get our way and we don't get what we feel like we deserve? And then number three, in the numbers account, the Lord sent venomous snakes that bit the people who then died. Wow, this is a clear picture of how sin destroys and kills God's people. Satan is depicted as a serpent who nips at our heels constantly and who will destroy us without the covering of Christ. And then the fourth point is, when Moses placed the snake on the pole and those bitten could look upon it and live, this clearly points to Christ on the cross. When we look upon Christ and accept his beautiful gift of salvation, we are saved from the snare and the bite of Satan. Our loving Father has been providing for us, his children, since time began. His desire for us to come and accept his son and to turn from our former lives is what he desires from us. So now back to verses 11 through 13. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. There are many great and comforting truths in these two verses. First of all, the Bible provides us with examples and warnings that we need in order to not fall into the same behaviors that befell 
our ancestors. Next, we are warned to not get too comfortable in our own skin that we believe we are above temptation and falling. It's a dangerous position to be in. Next, we are reminded that anything that we are tempted with is nothing new under the sun. We can try and justify this or that, but the truth is anything that we are tempted with are old tricks by the enemy and nothing is new to the Lord. And finally, we are reminded that when we abide in Christ, he will help us through the temptations. If we resist through him, he will provide the way out. We just got to lean into him. So your truth bomb for this section is when you take your focus off of Christ, it is easy to be misled, tempted, and to fall. And so your call to action is, how have you fallen in your Christian walk? And more importantly, how have you gotten back up for Christ? Now we're going to move into the second division, which is the warnings of continuing to go our own way. And this will take us from verses 13 through 33. Verse 14 says, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Paul's telling us to flee from anything that's idolatrous. And so to flee means to run away in the opposite direction. Do not tarry. Get away from the temptation as quickly as you can without a second thought. Verses 15 through 17. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf. We who are many are all one body for we all share the one loaf. So here, as Paul addresses the Corinthians in verse 15, he calls them sensible or wise people. And remember, the Corinthians prided themselves on being wise people. So Paul is calling them out by saying, hey, you guys who are so, you claim to be so wise, you need to listen up. And he's reminding them, that clearly the truth of their faith in Christ was because of the blood that Christ shed for them. And when they partook in the Lord's Supper, this is a reminder of the immense sacrifice that Christ made for each of them and for each of us. Verses 18 through 20, consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean the food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. So clearly, Paul is warning the Corinthians and us today that we must not participate in things that can tempt us from Christ. Behaviors that are not pleasing to God cannot coexist in a believer's life. You cannot live a life that is becoming of your Christian faith while participating in any manner that goes against Him. 
And a great example of this are those who say they have accepted Christ, yet they continue to harm themselves or others through sinful behaviors. You are either going to serve Christ or you're going to be serving his enemy, Satan. Verses 21 through 22. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he is? And now Paul is laying down the law in these verses as he's telling them, you cannot live as you wish. That is in direct opposition to what the Lord commands. We are not stronger than our Lord. And therefore, we cannot be so boastful to think that we can withstand the temptations of the enemy. Verses 23 through 24. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So Paul continues teaching the Corinthians that they did not need to be focused on their own rights, but rather to be focused on what their rights are as believers in Christ. And one way to look at this is those who seek to get away with as much as possible as a Christian, rather than to do what is the right thing as a believer. The Corinthians' question of having their own right to do anything showed their lack of concern for others. And as we've learned in previous lessons here in 1 Corinthians, what we do as believers very much affects the entire body of Christians. And as we continue to grow in our faith and as believers, We've got to understand that truly we are no longer our own and mature Christians are aware of their actions and must own when we fall. Verses 25 through 26, eat anything sold in the meat market without raising the question of conscience for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And at first glance, this verse appears to be in conflict with verses 20 through 21 above. What Paul is clarifying here is it isn't about the meat. It's the place in which the meat was eaten that had the atmosphere of fellowship with demons. So any place that has an atmosphere that pricks your Christian conscience, listen to that stirring and get out of there. Verses 27 through 28. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising a question of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for your sake of your conscience. So this is a great example that as believers, we are not prohibited from interacting with non-believers. We are, however, to not partake in anything that has been deemed in union with anything demonic or evil. And it is very important to protect ourselves and our children from people and places 
that allow anything that flies in the face of Christ. Again, flee, get out of there. Verses 29 through 30. He says, I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? And Paul again points out clearly that yes, we do have freedom in Christ, but we must always be wary of how our actions and choices do affect others. We cannot live in such a way that we don't care how we appear to others. As a believer and a follower of Christ, we must live in such a way that truly reflects Jesus within us. And now your final verses of this chapter, 31 through 33. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. You guys, our goal as a believer is to give glory to God in all that we do. Of course, we are not perfect and we will fall, but we are to seek forgiveness, to repent, and to turn from anything that is not becoming to who we are in Christ. And we do this for His glory, and therefore, We set aside our own flesh and our own desires and our own ways in order to elevate Jesus. So your truth bomb here is as believers, we cannot live in such a way that we have no conscience of our own actions or words. Your call to action. Are your actions and words reflecting Christ or are they reflecting the world? So in summary, We must keep our eyes on Christ more than ever. There are many distractions in our world that are engineered to do just that. Keep us off of Christ. We are enticed and lured by music, television, which is tell a vision, telling us how to think, movies, commercials, marketing, geared towards the me, me, me attitude. And no doubt, those without Christ want to lure our children into their web of darkness. Prayerfully ask God for discernment when it comes what to allow your children and grandchildren to see and listen to. Is it kingdom building or is it anti-kingdom? Paul knew we would all be living in tough times and he emphatically reminds us to stay laser focused on Christ. So. Soak it in, pray, and we'll see you again in chapter 11. Be sure to visit my website, drpaulamcdonald.com. Click on podcast and then exhale Bible discovery for self-study guides and resources to support you with each episode.